Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. Welcome to the program. Diana Wilson is an essayist, flash writer, and poet whose first full-length book of flash and poetry, High Stakes and Expectations, was released in spring 2002 from the tiny publisher. She is also the author of 13 nonfiction books on food, beverage, and lifestyle topics. And she also writes about tea, coffee, and spices from various websites. She's incredible. Diana, welcome to the program. Hi there. But enough about me. What do you think about me? <laughs> that's a very... What do, that's, well, that, what do that's, I think uh, about you? Just, You're great. That's right. I, I just... Uh, uh, that's something that we learn here in Hollywood, where somebody talks about themselves all the time, and they say, oh, enough about my movie. What did you think about my movie? So you made me sound very famous, and but I am prolific. You know, I don't know uh, how far and why, but um, uh, it's been a great writing jo- journey, and I've enjoyed it very much. Well, tonight you're a superstar, all right? A poetic superstar. Right. And we're going to continue this journey together. Let's begin. What is poetry? Okay. You know, that's a wonderful question, and I don't have a uh, Merriam-Webster answer, but the Diana Rosen answer is poetry is a way to connect with words and hopefully uh, with the tools of uh, metaphor, simile, and image. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. I don't like dictionary answers. I like people to share with me what poetry is from their heart. That's the most important thing to me. That's the most important thing. Uh, is there anything uh, else you want to share about poetry? Um, I like what the poet Stanley Kunitz said. He said to always end with an image and don't explain. Oh, wow. Which I think is just delightful, you know. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Knowing what you know about poetry, why is it important? I think we only have to look at the last few years of the pandemic here to understand that poetry sales have rocketed. People have turned to poetry during this incredibly strange and wacky time because I think poetry is a medium of comfort. Uh, 
lots of people who never pick up a book about poetry do go to to poetry when they're facing some sort of grief, whether it's the loss of a person, a loss of a job, or in this case, kind of loss of mobility because we couldn't go anywhere and do things in the way mm. that we were used to. It changed our life. And uh, I was uh, thrilled to learn that poetry was doing so well. And I think that uh, I think that's why we need it because it comforts. Wow, what I agree one hundred percent. I really agree. So, as you think about your work, what are some of the predominant themes? Uh, like in themes or, or ideas? Yes, themes. Yeah. Um, when you think about your body of work, well, what do you write about most? Because organizing a book is really difficult because okay. unless you are always writing about one particular thing like love mm-hmm. or grief or uh, something like that or if you are telling a story in poetry, it's really hard to organize uh, the book. And I I gave the manuscript to one of my professors mm-hmm. And she kept writing these things on the note in the margins. Ooh, risky. You know, high stakes here. Ooh, this is a challenge. And I thought, oh, okay. So I put all the all the poems that kind of reflected the challenges or the high stakes of living in the first part. And then I gave the title expectations to the second part because essentially I'm an optimistic person and so my expectation is that no matter how crappy things are today tomorrow Mm -hmm. will be better and so that's kind of the thought behind my book that we go through trials and tribulations But it's okay. In fact, it's almost imperative to expect Mm. something better come down the Mm. line. Because we we do get what we expect. Mm -hmm. I like that. Please share a piece. Okay. Um, This first piece is called um, uh, Final Jeopardy. And uh, a lot of people have been fans of the TV show, and uh, we've had mixed uh, reactions to how it changed. But I I wrote this poem many years ago before uh, uh, the demise of uh, Mr. Trebek, and it's called Final Jeopardy. In his remote, lingering limbo, He stares at the flickering light, silent, phrased questions to the professorial host. His noted wit, shadowed by the pea soup room, his breath, assisted by the gunmetal oxygen tank, harmonizing with the television's drone, nodding to his own image 
mirrored on the screen, he speaks for the first time in days. Why doesn't that guy just go? Correct, Alex answers. For four hundred dollars. Thank you. <laughs> I miss Alex Rebecca. I really do. But we all have a journey well, that ends. Right. And and I thought that my adjective professorial that he was a professor mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in tone and demeanor uh, was a good choice. And he was a philosophy major apparently. So I guess oh, that's wow. what happened to philosophy ma- major. They either become comedians or game show hosts. So I don't know so, if it's a retirement, I, but a lot of them. <laughs> All right. So high stakes and expectations was primarily why did you write that particular book at this time? Was it primarily due to the pandemic or there were some other factors? Um, I, uh, I, I joke that this book is 20 years in the making because okay. uh, some of these poems have followed me for a long time. Uh, because either I couldn't let go or I thought they weren't ready to be let go. And some of the poems are fairly recent. But the pandemic uh, gave me the time and um, uh, the wherewithal to really say, okay, now's the time. Get it all together. Put them together and and get Mm -hmm. it out there. You know, so many people during the pandemic – it was like a transformation. Who were you as a writer during the or during the pandemic? What did you discover about yourself? I was uh, I was uh, the happiest camper there was because the <laughs> idea of having to be stuck with my computer in my room with my books and my CDs was like heaven. I didn't know what anybody was complaining about, and. Um, because I write about uh, artisanal teas and coffees and high-end food products, I was mm-hmm. busier than ever because people were ordering from my clients in higher amounts than they normally did. So mm-hmm. they were keeping me busier writing uh, more stories than I normally would write for their website. So uh, I lucked out like a bandit, as they say. So um, I know it was very hard for people who aren't used to being by themselves much. Mm-hmm. And yes. I, I think that's, an, that's, an, uh, that's a very poignant place to be, to find mm-hmm. yourself either by yourself or just with one or two people and not have the stimulation of outside activity. And not everybody has cultivated uh, the the habits or the character or the courage or whatever word you want to use to be comfortable with their own skin. And so when oh, they're wow. all by themselves, they, they get upset. Yes. But there's poetry, and they can turn to poetry. Yeah. <laughs> Well, let's go back in your history. (laughs) Let's go back in your history. 
what was an early poem that you developed that assisted you understand the power of poetry? That I wrote or that I read? That that you wrote. That you wrote. Yes, ma'am. Um, you know, there's a, a a poem that I wrote quite a few years ago. In fact, when I was first uh, starting out writing poetry, and I did include it here. Um, and um, it's called. I. I. It had the initials. H H K K for hug hug kiss kiss. All right. Would Would you like um, Would you like me to read it? If you have it, that'd be wonderful. I. It just happens to be on page thirty-seven of my new book. <laughs> Fantastic. So, okay. All right. So it's called H H K K. If I we're going to hug you. It wouldn't be a hug, hug, kiss, kiss sort of hug. If I were going to hug you, it wouldn't be a showbiz air kiss, leaning in to the void between us. No, if I was going to hug you, my palms would cover your hands, my fingers circle around the back of your wrist, a gentle stethoscope feeling for the pulse of you. Then ski upward over the sand dunes of your arms. My left arm would seek that deep impression in the back of your waist. Discover each vertebrae, memorizing each one, sweep the silky hairs on your nape. Together, my hands would smooth your furrowed brow, your still soft fullness of your lips. My face would nose kiss the coolness of your throat. My body Brushing yours, hello, if I were going to hug you. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> that was exquisite. Thank you. That really was. I, I need a moment. I need a moment. Okay. Diana. All right. Well, All right. shall we turn on some music? Will that help you? <laughs> no, I think I'll be okay. You know, in that particular piece, and I'm a listener, your voice was different. It was different. So what I'd like to know is what, what is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice, if there's a relationship? Um... Well, I I think I have several voices when I write because I okay. do write for different media, media yes. and um, and 
also uh, this brings up a very interesting point. I I don't always enjoy reading my poems out loud because it's like giving them away. And yet uh, I need to reframe that and realize I'm just sharing. I'm just sharing. And I do want to share my poems with other people. Uh, And I have uh, a bit of an issue with how some poets read their poems. They, Mm -hmm. They use a certain uptone cadence at the end of their lines, and they're not really sharing the emotion of what they're writing, even though they might write something really explosively uh, emotional. So I guess this is a roundabout way of saying that when I speak my poems out loud, I want to emphasize by tone or inflection or by pauses the feeling that I intend to communicate. And I hope I do. You you, you will be the judge of that <laughs> or your listeners. Well, <laughs> that was a powerful way to share the point. We, 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 Diana, you and I are brother and sister from different mothers. Because that's exactly what I believe. Exactly what, oh, what you said. I believe that. And that's how I share my work in the same fashion. Good to well, hear. Let me ask this question. Great. Yes. Let me ask uh, this question. I think you talked about okay. emotion. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Were you going to say no, something? that's right. Okay. No, no, no. I'd rather answer your questions. <laughs> okay. So here's my question now. So you talked about emotion, the importance of emotion. Do you think a poet can be call, can call him or herself a poet if they don't show strong emotions? That's a very interesting question. Hmm. Uh, um. You know, there are two, there are two levels of, of poems or poetry. One is the poet poems that we read. And so we are kind of uh, meeting the poet on the page. And we are bringing ourselves to the page. And it's a little one-dimensional. But when we are in a poetry reading and listening to a poet, there's the added dimensions of listening to the sound of his or her voice, watching their body language, listening to all those uh, elements that make a voice uh, interesting or not interesting. And the added thing is the audience. It's like being in a movie theater. You know, you, you can feel people reacting to the images on the screen. Well, you can do that in a poetry reading, too. You know, people get excited about something that they're listening to. And so it becomes a form of theater when you hear, you know, you have the opportunity to listen to a poet speaking their poems, reading their poems out loud. So 
there are a lot of factors about uh, listening to to a poem. It's very, I think it's very complicated, and um, uh, one of the uh, you know, the associated uh, writing program conventions where a lot of poets go to uh, uh, read their work. Uh, I I noticed that in the last two meetings they are now having workshops for helping poets present their poetry in a livelier manner and learning how to be directed because it's not enough just to read your poems. Mm -hmm. And so many poets are introverts and they may be emotional furnaces, you know, roaring, burning up inside and writing really hot poems, but the idea of saying them out loud is anathema to them. They just can barely say their name, let alone read their poem. Or they are so shy that they mumble or they are uh, inverting their bodies so much that it's as if they were bent in a downward dog yoga position rather than standing up and shouting their words. So there are a lot of factors to why a poet can put over their poetry well. A lot of times it's just innate shyness, uh, inexperience in public speaking or presenting their work verbally. And uh, as an audience, we have to give them a little break, but also as a poet, I think they owe it to their audience to learn some rather simple skills and techniques for putting their work over. And, mm-hmm. and I hope more people do. Well, let me ask this question. I don't know if that answered your question. Beautifully stated. It did. Beautifully okay. stated. I loved every word. Beautifully stated. So how important is it for you to take part in poetry readings? Do you do that in other live events? where you can practice uh, what you're sharing, practice what you preach. Uh, I really love it, but mm-hmm. I am still uh, a COVID-shy person. My idea of a crowd is three people, so um, that I haven't been as enthusiastic for in-person readings as I have for Zoom meetups. They're not yes, the same thing, but uh, <laughs> I love Zoom. <laughs> uh, the the uh, the situation here in Los Angeles is not scary, but uh, people are still dying every day, and mm. about two thousand people every day are coming down with uh, the virus. So that made me a little uncomfortable about going into a crowd of people at a bookstore where there isn't a lot of room between the seats and between uh, uh, the customers. But uh, maybe you can tell I'm a little bit of a ham. I can be (laughs) coerced into performing. But but, uh, for the moment, I I haven't done as much because um, I guess I'm just waiting to feel more comfortable 
being out in public I, in a crowd. Well, let me ask this question. When you think about a poem or writing poetry, and you just mentioned the Zoom meetings, do the Internet and social media contribute to the well-being of poetry? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Talk to me. Um, uh, I love it. Well, I'm a class junkie. I love to take classes online and Zoom, and that's been another bonus of uh, the lockdown and the pandemic uh, years is I've taken advantage of a lot of uh, classes that are available and a lot of uh, back and forth exchange between other poets and between the teachers or instructors and the writers. And I, I really feel like I learned a lot and it was like being in a live class because uh, we could see each other on the split screen, but uh, uh, nobody had to drive. They didn't have to park. You know, they didn't have to do all the stuff you have to do when you go to uh, a schoolroom or a classroom somewhere. But uh, th- I took I took many classes, and then I think the other thing about uh, the internet is you are trying to think of a of a poem written by a certain poet and you may or you may not have that book but you can just put one line or a group of words from that poem into google and bing 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 there's the poem mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you can use it however you want to inspire you or to share it with somebody else or to see how a poet used a certain a form, like a villanelle or a sonnet, to describe a certain event. And so all of these tools and access is just fantastic. I love it. And and the other thing is, uh, I think you said you have been doing this show for five years, right? But yes. There's also been in the... There's also been an explosion of podcasts, and mm-hmm. a lot of them have incorporated uh, poetry and other writing. And this has been tremendous as a way of getting the word out about who's mm-hmm. writing what now, but also in in kind of reacquainting ourselves with poems that we may have learned in high school or college or uh, poems that we read uh, in our 20s and 30s and may have forgotten about. So between the internet, between classes and podcasts, the opportunity to enhance our knowledge of and appreciation of poetry, I think, has been fantastic. Wow. You know, before we take a brief break, have you ever taught a poetry class? Yes, I have. (laughs) Something told me. (laughs) Something told me you had. (laughs) That's wonderful. (laughs) Because I was thinking, she can't have a whole bunch of all this talent and not use it. (laughs) All right, let me calm down. (laughs) Okay. 
what, should we take a break first, and then I'll tell you yeah. about the teaching? Thank okay. you. You tell I got excited. Okay. Here we go. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I am here with Diana Rosen. You can tell I'm excited. Talk to me, Diana. Talk to me about your experience as a teacher. All right. Um, Quite a few years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to work with visiting writers at a local bookstore. And one of the programs that the bookstore offered was a free uh, class on poetry, and the method was the free write concept that Natalie Goldberg uh, created, where you give somebody a prompt, you write for a certain amount of time, and then you can share or not share. So that's pretty much what I uh, used when I was teaching classes. I taught at some local senior citizen centers. I also did some private classes with uh, uh, invited students or um, and a couple times people invited me to be a a guest teacher uh, at an established program. So I used some of the things that I learned from my teachers about free writing and there are a gazillion prompts, and there is no end to them, but I thought it was important to select prompts that were tailored to the audience. So I wasn't going to do a a prompt about rap music for some people who were senior citizens who might not uh, embrace that. And... Uh, for younger kids, I didn't uh, do anything that could be considered old-fashioned. Uh, I would try to tailor the prompt to common themes that they would enjoy. But I found that the best thing that I ever did was to use tangible prompts. And these were items that I bought from my house, things that I thought were kind of cool, And some of them were uh, a challenge for people depending on their age. Mm -hmm. Like I brought a thimble. And so anybody under 50 didn't know what the heck a thimble was because nobody mending their hems or (laughs) or replacing their buttons on their shirts anymore. But once I told them what it was, they could create some sort of story with it. 
I brought, uh, I'm a, a, a deltiologist. A deltiologist is somebody who collects postcards. And I like to collect postcards that are quirky, that have some sort of story on the cover. But I also had postcards of uh, very famous and familiar places. So I just toss out some and ask people to take one or two and use the postcard as a prompt uh, to write about. And it was <laughs> always fantastic to to listen to the different ways that some people would look at the same postcard and come away with entirely different interpretations mm-hmm. of the image. I'm sure. That was a great deal of fun. <laughs> oh, wow. So, you know, my so listening ear never fails me. I'll say it one more time. My listening ear never fails me. <laughs> Diana, please share a piece. You want me to share another poem? Okay. Another way to, uh, you know, another thing to do uh, in lieu of a prompt is to do a response poem. And one way to interpret that is you take a poem that's familiar to you and you respond to each line of the poem with something else. And then all your responses are put together and that becomes a new poem. So I made a response poem from the poem by Derek Walcott called Love After Love. So this is called Love After Love after Derek Walcott. Tomorrow. Sooner. You will release what was depressed from the dark place you lived. You will see her. Connect and you will feel hunger for life. For the moment. Today, You will hug the fear, kiss the doubt. Share wine, bread, your heart. Be not afraid. Embrace. Weep happiness. Step out of the costume of silence. Put on the cloak of courage. Read your story as if freshly inked. A coda. This. Smile. Circle your arms around you. Trust joy. Thank you. I know that is a response poem, and it was beautiful as all yours. What's the purpose of that poem? The purpose is to remind people that uh, life and love and joy is in you, are in you, mm. and. Uh, mm. Take a chance. Jump. Take a chance. All right. So 
is a poem letting your guard down or building a wall? Would you say that again? Is yes. Is a poem is a poem letting your guard down or building a wall? Interesting. Well, I hope it is the tearing down walls. Okay. And okay. being open. But uh, uh, my poems are perceived as up to the reader. I don't have any control over that. Uh, I may have a certain intention, but if they don't get it, they don't get it. And uh, everybody brings their entire life experience to every page they read. Mm -hmm. And there is nothing I can do about that. Uh, Mm -hmm. There are some people who uh, are are, uh, skittish or nervous about uh, uh, love poems. There are some people who don't want poems about war and pestilence and plague. Um, Everybody has issues and, and concerns, but the writer can't. Uh, think too much about that. The writer has to write what they need to write about in the way that they want to write about it. All right. All right. Well, let me ask you this. And then then, uh, let it fly. All right. Well, the next one is two parts. The first piece is, tell me about a poem you were proud of writing but afraid to share for fear of misinterpretation. Hmm. You see why they pay me uh, the big bucks, Diana? <laughs> yeah. Do you okay. see why they and pay right. me the big bucks? <laughs> I don't think that question was on the list. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> no. You mean, did, did I no, change, no, did no. I change <laughs> my mind about a poet? Yes, of course. This is your this is your hour. This is your journey. This is your journey. Um Well, I was thinking about Margaret Atwood. Okay. Uh, a lot of people a lot of people think of Margaret Atwood uh for the handmaid's tale and dystopian novels and all that stuff. And I'm not a dystopian fan, but her poetry is fabulous. It's very witty. It's very droll. She takes no prisoners. She puts up with no caca, no pot, you know, no no baloney. And she's hilarious. And um, I just sort of stumbled upon her. Um, and um, I really got sucked into uh, her work, and now I think I have several of her books. Um, and then there, there are some poets that I really loved when I was younger, and now, mm-hmm. you know, um, Dora Richard Brodigan, who mm-hmm. was probably the first contemporary poet I ever read, and he was... Uh, you know, a hippy dippy 
in Heat Ashbury and a, a lot of uh, a lot of that period of time washed over him, and he was fun. He was very colloquial and vernacular and contemporary of his era, and uh, it it doesn't it hasn't aged all that well for me, mm-hmm. but. Uh, I still have gone back to him every once in a while because his writing kind of gives me uh, a shot in the arm that I can try something different, but not necessarily how or what he did. But his writing is a reminder to me that Mm -hmm. I can take chances, try new things. So So speaking of taking chances, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, all you know, right. You know, I take so, change. <laughs> no, it's true. So speaking of taking chances, so you've never written a poem that you felt may have been too much, that you feared it would be misinterpreted by somebody that's living that kind of world. I am not somebody who worries about what anybody thinks about me or okay. anything that I write. All right. Uh, All right. I I do I do do a lot of writing for money and the people who pay me money have a right mm-hmm. to say do something different or do it this way or that way. Uh but uh for my poetry and short fiction uh you know, an editor can take it or leave it, mm-hmm. but I don't mm-hmm. get. I'm not. Uh, I'm not uh, upset about rejections or people liking or not liking uh, what I write. I'm really writing for me, and the reason I send things out to journals and and try to get a lot of work published is uh, a pure exercise in ego. So I can say somebody else liked me, but if they don't, mm-hmm. it's okay because I'm going to still write. I'm still going to write what I want to write, and if something is uh, just gets a kind of a glazed look over an audience every time I mm-hmm. read it or share mm-hmm. it, I say to myself, you know, I bet that could be improved. So that's my mm-hmm. attitude. Can can mm-hmm. I make it better so that it'll be interesting? Uh, I don't have to be loved, but I boring. That's like like a knife to my heart. So oh, uh, oh, oh. Uh, I love and, your and answer. I, I love I your like answer. To, yeah. I, I, I love think it. That's why I, I like to it. take classes a lot. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like I could find another another idea or another way of uh of uh of approaching a poem that can make it better and mm-hmm. uh you know throughout my writing life i've all, always been an editor uh not only for my own work but for other people's work and i think that's right. one of the sidebar skills that any short story flash or poet writer, poetry writer, should really embrace. And that is 
the idea that editing is a positive and uh, slimming down the verbose, the verbosity in anything is always a good idea. Uh, if anything, I've, right. I've sometimes killed so many darlings there wasn't anybody left breathing. But it's really well. important to be, be uh, judicious and be thorough as an editor of your own work. Yes. You're answering all my questions tonight. You can share some flash fiction if you want to. Okay. And if you don't, that's fine. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep going. <laughs> I like hearing you talk. You okay. <laughs> okay. Thank uh, you, man. You know, uh, uh, I have uh, really loved the idea of flash fiction, which some people still refer to as prose poems. And one of the things I do when I'm writing is I sometimes go back and forth. If I just can't make a poem work because of line breaks or because of rhythm or something like that, I try to fashion it into a flash because I think the rhythm in a flash uh, helps helps the storyline sometimes. And then the opposite is true. Sometimes you don't want that pulsing rhythm. Uh, you want to have a little bit more pause in between thoughts or ideas, so you might go for a poem. So this is a short flash, and it's called I See You, and it's the initials I See You for um, uh, a hospital uh, uh, area. I see you. I took the night shift because I could see the kids off to school. I shower at the hospital even though home is just a few blocks away. I wake up the kids. Jeremy, Gil lets me do it with a hug and a kiss. Anthony, he's in the ah-ma stage. Wants to hear about gunshot wounds, stabbings, freeway crashes. Not babies, born with complications. Not heart shunts. Not tumors. Or worse. I pack the kids' lunches, cook oatmeal, top it with cut up bananas, pour milk, juice. Got a big day ahead, I say. You got your books? Homework? Come straight home. I love you. I shout after them as they saunter to the bus, giggling and tussling, and climb into the golden yellow bus, wave me a goofy goodbye. I sit in my chair, reckon with the silence, try to rock away the night shift, rock away what happens every day to ordinary people, just like us. That was perfect. What do you learn about yourself 
being a writer? I don't think I asked that before. Hmm. Or what have you learned about yourself? Um, that's a really great question. Um, I think I I think I learned earlier on that some of the things I didn't want to deal with or didn't want to think about, uh, if I wrote the story about them on a page in any form, the the ache of it went away. And then uh, I I would go back to what I wrote and approach it as the writer shaping a piece of work. Sometimes that went quickly and sometimes it took years. But it, uh, I learned that whatever you're dealing with, Whatever you experienced when you were 2 or 22 or whenever, if you write it down in a journal, in a diary, wherever, if you just get the words out and put it down on the page, it's almost as if it carries the acid of those moments out of your system and a balm will form in its place. So mm. I, I, I've never been afraid to do that since. Uh, yes. you know, I, I, I did it in the beginning just because somebody said, oh, write, write about this, write about that, and it triggered something in me. And I wrote mm-hmm. about something that was very... Uh, personal, and instead of feeling embarrassed, I was very relieved, and I was that that surprised me that relief, and so I've been doing that for quite a long time. Wow, I appreciate the way you're able to make your point, and it was accessible. As a professor, as a teacher, that's what information needs, potentially needs to be accessible, that people can understand it. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, let me ask you this, Diana. So much is happening in our world today. So much. The good, the bad, the ugly, and the indifferent. What I want to know mm-hmm. is, what's the, what's the role of a poet in modern-day society? I think your poet is uh, like the canary of the proverbial coal mine. I grew up in a coal mining town, and for many, many years, uh, the miners would send in a canary, and if they dropped dead, they knew that there was too much toxic air for human beings to go in. And so sometimes poets and musicians and painters and dancers all in all the arts. I think that 
we are are, almost tasked with the obligation to uh, warn people that something's coming down the road and you better get off the road if you don't want to get hit. And some people will listen and some people will not. But it's incumbent upon anybody who sees the danger to say something about it and to not say something is to be a cohort in the crime of what's happening wow. so uh some poets are are didactic and hysterical and dramatic and they tend to get a lot of press, but they also don't get a lot of uh, response to to helping to solve the problem. Uh, but there are many poets doing a really wonderful job of uh, reminding people, especially here in the United States, that we're in charge. Mm-hmm. And so long as mm-hmm. we are registered to vote, and able to vote, we can make changes, and we can say Mm -hmm. yes, and we can say no. It won't matter if we don't, you know, so uh, I think that that's that's what the poet can do. Love it. We're almost at the end of our journey. So here's the question. (laughs) <laughs> Here's the question. What do you hope readers get from encountering your work? What do you want them to, to walk away with when they finish your book? Well, um, I hope they connect with something and mm-hmm. that one or more poem uh, resonates with them. It's been uh, uh, kind of mind-boggling to hear, especially from friends who have read my book and for people that I don't know, what their, their, either their favorite poem or the one that meant the most to them was. And of about, say, 30 or 40 people that I have spoken to or uh, written to, and heard from, nobody has mentioned the same poem twice. Mm. I, don't, I don't know how that can be. But, uh, you know, they may have liked, you know, 10 poems, but they mention a particular poem, and that poem is one that nobody else has mentioned. Um, and sometimes mm-hmm. it's a result of what's going on in in the news of the day and so maybe that mm-hmm. poem helped connect them maybe uh, they had a nice uh, date that night and so a love poem resonated I don't know why I've asked them why and nobody's yes. really come up with a very valuable answer mm-hmm. but I uh, I just, you know, it's like what Ian Forster said, connect, connect, only connect. And that's what I'm trying to do. 
And if All this right. one poem connects with you, I'm thrilled. <laughs> well, I'd like to imagine for a moment that you're on a stage and there's one poem that you need to share before the show is over. So please share one poem. You're on the stage. Okay. All right. Uh, I I admit, like a lot of writers, that some things are from real life and some stuff I make up. So you can decide whether I make this up or this is from real life. All right. It's called it's called the hearts of horses. On a deserted tree lane near the rough shore of Bolinas, a friend and I stop mid-road to talk as poets are wont to do. When a rumble growing louder and louder growls from our right a herd of mustangs, wild, strong, furious, runs across the road in front of our car and heads south. The rumble, now a soft earth caress, leaving us silent as statues, engraving the sight on memory. Pen this moment, we poets beg the muse to provide. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to answer it. I think it's real. Okay. Okay, yes it is. And uh, for those who don't know what Bolinas is, it's a little city in Marin, in North Marin, and uh, it's full of people from the 60s, and they take great pride and joy in tearing down the any directions or street signs or city signs that would indicate how to get to the shore or how to get to the city in the thinking that if nobody sees the sign, they won't figure out where this utopia is. So that's what we have. We have a caller. Oh, my goodness. Would you like me to bring this person on? Sure. All right. (laughs) All right. Hold on one second here. Eric code 630-467. You're on the air with Diana Rosa. Hello? Yes. Hi there. Hi. Are you there? Do you have a question? Yes. Oh, I got all questions. I'm full of questions. Are you? Hey, listen, can you turn that down a bit? Hey, Michael, how are you doing? This is Michael yes, sir. Johnson Oh, hello, Michael how Johnson. I'm yeah. well, sir. You know who I am, and I know who you are. The only question I've got is why are you so smart and I'm not? 
<laughs> well, <laughs> direct your question to Diana, oh. and you and I'll talk later. <laughs> well, actually, actually, I, I got a couple of comments. I've been I, I've been listening on my computer, and I only just in the last five ten minutes called on the phone. But mm-hmm. uh, uh, Diana, I um, enjoyed uh, several things you said. Uh, I really related. Uh, it's not so much a question as it is an agreement. I really related to uh, the question that Michael asked about the fear of rejection. Do you have a poem that perhaps you're fearful of that, you know, putting it out there? And I loved your comment because uh, it's exactly the way I feel. I don't have no fear of rejection. All right. You know, it doesn't bother me. Uh, but I do remember some, uh, the, I think it's called the Journal out of England, uh, the editor there mentioned to me, says, Michael, I like your poetry, but why do you always got to, you know, put the word Jesus in there too often, you know? And I thought about that, and I thought, you know what? I don't really care, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I, I guess, Diane, what I'm trying to say is I really connected to that, because you cannot allow other people, other editors, other publishers, and usually poets are a combination of the above, you can't allow that to happen. We only have one life. All right. You know, you know the other thing, too, is I was going to ask Diane. I was checking out my Facebook groups, and I was looking to see if Diane was on any of my Facebook groups that I have since been banned by Facebook. But uh, I know she was not, <laughs> so I'm missing her there. Well, what I'll do is send the links to all of your groups. Yeah, you How's know what, sound, Diane, I have a, I, if you don't mind, I have uh, looked up one of your poems that I sort of enjoyed. Would you mind? It? I made sure it was a short one. Would you mind if I read it? If you read it? Okay. Yes. He, he'd like to read it. All right. You know, but no, seriously, I mean, you know, it's probably, you know, it's not necessarily uh, maybe one of her best or most recent or whatever, but I just happened to snag onto this. Diane, I don't know for sure uh, what the poem is titled. Is it called Lucky Me? Oh, okay. Yeah, Uh, Lucky Me. Is it called Lucky Me? Lucky Me, right. Yeah, okay. But I noticed that. It goes something like this. It was sort of short, and that's the reason I picked it out, but I also like the basic content of it, especially coming out of California and perhaps some implications from that. But it, uh, here it goes something like this. We were on patrol in the damnedest, most isolated place. Dust everywhere, hard to see, harder to breathe, ordered to move on, check each town, Route out the enemies, me, I don't know if I'm going to this, meons. Days of this, hot and dry, nights, a cold, pure, black. Checking houses, schools, shops, nothing, all abandoned. This day, an ordinary Thursday, I led my men on one more patrol, nothing. And then something, a crack in the silence, then the roar of hundreds running towards us, firing. I froze speechless, mouth agape. The bullet entered my mouth, escaped through my cheek. Lucky me. Nice poem. Okay. 
Yes, that was Thank you. Diana, <laughs> it's always good to hear someone share your work. What? You know, I always thought that, too, how interesting it is to hear somebody else's voice outside of your own mm-hmm. uh, reciting one of your poems. And, I, and to me, yes. it's, it's one of the most uh, enlightening forms of insight that one can have. Wow. Well, thank, well, thank you. you, my friend. Did, did you? Thank you so much, Michael. You all are, right. all you right. know how I feel about you. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. <laughs> yeah, listen, uh, listen, I appreciate it. Uh, Diane, God bless you. I noticed that uh, you're 29 just like me. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm going to be that All way right. forever. <laughs> All, All right. right. All right. We'll let Bye. you go. Thank you, Michael. God bless you both. Bye. All right. Bye now. <laughs> okay, Diane. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How can listeners stay in touch with you, Diane? Um. Well, they can uh, uh, follow me on Facebook, uh, mm-hmm. Diana Rosen. They can uh, connect with me at uh, Diana at the tiny dot com. They can buy my books, uh, and uh, also if they'd like to read more of what I have written, uh, mm-hmm. I have a portfolio. Uh, under wow. authory, A-U-T-H-O-R-Y dot com uh, forward slash Diana Rosen. And all right. you can learn all about my uh, books on tea and food and read my flash and my poetry. And you can subscribe for free. And every time I write something, you'll get a copy of it. Wow. You've been an incredible guest, an incredible guest. Hopefully you enjoyed this experience. (laughs) It's been a roller coaster up and down. That's right. Well, I I was very touched to have uh, a poem read back to me. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of this, uh, it may be apocryphal, but there was a story about uh, Pablo Neruda and he was quite elderly, and he mm-hmm. uh, did a poetry reading, and he was seated at a table throughout all of it because he was, you know, frail. And so one of the people in the audience said, please read tonight, uh, I write the saddest words, which is one of his famous poems. And he says, oh, no, 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 I'm too old, I'm too frail, I can't. I can't remember anything. And with that, the entire audience of 300 people stood up and read the poem to him. Wow. Wow. So I always wondered, would I ever have that opportunity? Uh, Not quite, but at least I got one poem read to me by one of your your (laughs) listeners, so that was close. And remember, you said if, you could, if, if it's only one poem, <laughs> you're happy. That's right. And it's on page 17 of my book. <laughs> I love it. I love it. What's next to you? Where well, do you you've go from here? You've been a great host, too. Where do you go from here, Diana? Where do you go from here? What's next on your agenda? Uh, well, I'm trying to put together 
a book of only Flash. Uh, this book has both poems and Flash. And so I have a book of only uh, Flash. And then I have a second book. And this kind of ties in with the whether or not you want to share things or not. And it's all about family stories. And I think the the uh, underlying underlying dilemma of the family stories is are they universal enough despite how personal they are that other people would uh, respond to them in a in a good way. So all right. uh, all right. when I get that answer, I'll let you know. Oh, I love it. I love it. And you know, you're welcome back here anytime. Anytime. Thank Just you. Just call me up, Thank email you. me, <laughs> and we'll do it again. <laughs> All right. I love it. Well, thank every... you so much for taking the time. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, thank you. All You're right. the best part so far. Yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you. you. <laughs> I really appreciate that. All right. <laughs> I've got the biggest smile on my face. All right. <laughs> I want to say good night to our guests. Did I get your last name right, Diana? Is it Rosen or Rosalind? Diana Rosen, R-O-S-E-N. Okay. <laughs> I didn't get a chance to ask you. And that's it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I want to thank Diana Rosen for her wonderful, I can't even get it out, her wonderful, wonderful work. Please purchase her book, High Stakes and Expectations. Please purchase her book. So, as I share with everyone every week, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. Good night. Good night. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at qlpor.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.